0: Welcome back to the podcast. I hope that you are doing so, so good today. I'm really pumped for a guest of the show today. Elisa Ramsey is here with us. She is a registered dietitian who identifies herself as a nutrition therapist, also certified certified intuitive eating counselor, and the author of The Unapologetic Eating, Make Peace with Food and Transform Your Life. Alyssa is passionate about helping people rekindle the space to eat and live on apologetically. Now, I do have to say before you listen to this podcast that for some reason, I do have a really hard time saying unapologetic when I say it fast. <laughs> So sorry in advance if that's annoying because, you know, all over the place. But this conversation was so, so good. We really talked about, you know, diet culture, like why we get stuck, the, the different layers of diet culture and the journey to actually healing. So we talk about what it takes to become an unapologetic eater and how that actually looks like and the different components of it. This episode was such a good conversation and I'm hope that you're going to get a ton from it. On that note, my friend, I hope that you enjoyed this podcast episode and if you do, please be sure to leave us a review. It takes 90 seconds, but it means the world to us. We strive to make this podcast the go-to place to hear all of the anti-diet messages and spread the word. So I would really, really appreciate it if you took a couple minutes to go leave us a review and a rating. On that note, let's get to the show. Hey, Alyssa, how are you? Hey, I am doing so well. Really excited to be here with you today. Yeah, I'm really pumped that you are here too. Before we get into today's topic, um, would you mind maybe telling our audience like who you are, what you do, what got you to do the work that you do today? Sure. So I am a registered
1: dietitian by training, although I tend to use the word nutrition, food nutrition therapist, because that really describes more of the work that I do at this point. Um, I'm also a certified intuitive eating counselor and. Yeah, I work with people who um, are generally chronic dieters and struggle with disordered eating and really help them get back into their bodies and reconnect to themselves. Um, And yeah, I got into it, oh my goodness. I mean, for me, my journey really started, I guess in high school um, when I went through puberty and as I now know is very normal part of puberty, right? Like weight gain started happening. But of course, I freaked out when that started happening and um, ended up going on my first diet in high school. Um, and also around that time, like joined a gym and befriended a trainer at the gym who gave me some like what I now realize is not so great nutrition advice. And um, yeah, I was just really getting into nutrition and fitness. And then, um, yeah, found out that that was something I could do for a career. Um, and so really my Okay. Uh entry into this profession began with my own dieting and disordered eating, although I didn't recognize at the time. Um, yeah. but I look back now and I'm like, whoa, I was severely restricting and like over exercising and was just like thinking about food all the time and like feeling guilty and planning my days in advance and like compensating if I thought I ate too much and like all different things like that. Um, But to me, that just I'm like, oh, this is this is what being healthy means. Right. And then I was also getting a lot of like praise and validation. This was in like the early 2000s. So it wasn't, you know, none of my friends were dieting in high school, like wasn't really a thing. And so I was like, my identity started to become wrapped around like being the quote, unquote, like healthy one. Um, and then that like certainly continued through college and even into my twenties. Um, and then yeah, I think what started to sh- make things shift for me was I moved to New York City after my dietetic internship, and I took a job at a hospital, and I was working in the intensive care units. So I was doing like nothing with with weight loss, like if anything, right? We're like trying to get people to like more nutrition into their bodies when they're so sick. And I also just fell into a group of friends who had really great relationships to food. And I think that like slowly just over the years began to kind of heal my own relationship to food. Um, But I still had not, I was not familiar with intuitive eating or a weight inclusive approach or a non-diet or anti-diet approach. And I was still, you know, when I started working in my own practice seven years ago, I was still doing like some weight loss counseling um, and then I stumbled upon Evelyn Tripoli's intuitive eating course and thought that it was about mindful eating. So signed up. I had never read the book. <laughs> I did not know what I was walking into. And the first day she went over like the health and weight science and introduced the Hayes approach, which I was not familiar with either at the time. And, oh my gosh, it just made so much sense. Like personally, when I thought about my own experience, Um, It made sense, like, from a scientific perspective. And then it also made sense when I, like, took a look at the clients I had worked with and, you know, kind of what was going on with them. And they're, like, yo-yo dieting and, like, weight cycling. And I was, like,
0: oh,
1: okay. Um, And so that really began, you know, that was, like, five or six years ago. And that began, like, this really big process for me of, like, unlearning and unpacking all of this stuff and unpacking, you know, a lot of, like, my own privileges and biases that I was not aware of at that point. And yeah, really just going so much deeper into this space. And um, yeah, I switched my entire practice to be, um, to operate from a weight inclusive lens. Um, And yeah, it's been like completely life-changing, like personally and professionally.
0: Yeah, no, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I feel like sometimes when we meet people, they think we've always been anti-diet and I have not yet met one person <laughs> that has that experience, right? Because right? we all grew up in diet culture and having all of our own biases. So I think this is like, yeah, so cool that you're able to share that. And I think a lot of dietitians too, like, I think, I can't remember the stat, but I know my first year in university, the, the professor was like, look around you. I think it was like 50% of you have an eating disorder, disordered eating. And you're like, wow, like, it's true, right? Because we're so obsessed with it that you're like, cool, let me go study it and make a career out of this thing that I'm going to do. Uh, But how cool that you, you fell onto like intuitive eating, like maybe by chance or whatever, thinking it was mindful eating. I love that so much, but I think it's like, once we know, you know, and like, you can, I feel like you can never go back from like knowing and understanding, like, inclusive care, like trauma-informed care, like intuitive eating, like once you know, I feel like, yeah, everything changes after. So I'm like really excited to lean more into this conversation with you. I think this is so good. Something that um that I wanted to question you about, like on your website, you talk a little bit about you know, like your own story and childhood and stuff like that. And Something that came up a lot for me, because I see these traits in a lot of my clients, and I'd love for us to start a conversation there, is that you talked about being like, people pleasing and compliant and agreeable and like having those traits and that how some of these can kind of like push us into maybe becoming a dieter or chronic dieter can we talk about that how some traits that we may have may actually kind of like lead us more into becoming a dieter and caring more about all of these things
1: yeah yeah so um yeah you know I think when we think about these traits right i think and it's always impossible to like completely know but i always am questioning okay what what was i like born with and what is because of my socialization or experiences that i've had or a trauma response right because if we think about like humans like innately like innately we want to belong right like we want acceptance right because that's like belonging and if we I always love to think about like thousands and thousands of years ago, because our nervous systems are still wired this way of, you know, hunter gatherer days. Like if you didn't belong with the group, if you were cast aside out of the group, you probably wouldn't survive because you couldn't survive on your own. Mm -hmm. And while technically that's not the case anymore. Right. I do think, right. There's so much research on social isolation and loneliness and how this leads to poor out poor health outcomes. And so I do think humans are their social group and they want belonging, like this is human nature. So Mm -hmm. for a lot of us, I think especially folks socialized as women, we tend to be socialized to, um, you know, we live in a patriarchal society where men hold the majority of the power and have, Um, for most of history. And that means that for them to stay in power, women somehow have to be like kept down, right? They have to be oppressed um, in order for men to like stay in their power. And um, one of the, the many, many, many ways that our culture does this to women is by socializing us as in a certain way like and again this depends on this is not necessarily like all women this will depend on your culture you know I grew up in like predominantly white like middle class United States um and so my experience was getting messages of like you're being too bossy you need to be more agreeable um and yeah I go into this on my website because I, you know, at some point I was like, what? I just looked up the word agreeable in the dictionary and like, or the uh, thesaurus and like all the synonyms for it. And like compliant was a big one. And then I also think about, you know, I definitely identify as being quote unquote, like people pleaser. Like, you know, I don't like if people like aren't happy with me or like, I'm thinking about what people are thinking of me. Right. And that can be a trauma response, like that can be right, like the fawn sort of like nervous system response. Um, So I think all of these, these different things, and I agree with you, I see this in probably all of my clients as well, like these traits in some way kind of coming out. Um, If we kind of link this to dieting, right, like in our society, we also live in a culture where being thin or being thinner or like pursuing thinness or pursuing health is seen as like better and is seen as valuable and people who are um, fat in our society are oppressed. Um, And so going back to just like humans, like wanting this innate sense of belonging and layered on top of, you know, those of us who've been socialized to like be agreeable or be compliant, like what is dieting? Right? It's like being compliant with a certain way of eating so that you, you know, you know, people are doing that because they want to shrink their body into one that's acceptable by society, right? So that they like belong. Um, so, yeah, I think these different ways that we're socialized on top of just some like innate human, the need for belonging with the anti-fat bias that is rampant in our society, it makes so much sense that so many people every year like end up dieting
0: yeah yeah like all of those layers together and i love the way that you like describe that like that need to belong and like that's something that we talk often about right like if we feel like because of the body that we live in we will not belong it's like a biological like I want to like what can I do and then like diet culture then presents you with this like perfectly wrapped solution just for you and like once you do this so it, like it makes so much sense um so I feel like yeah 100% and I I like this piece of people pleasing too because I'll have a lot of women we work together and they'll they'll say that piece right of like being like um, physically pleasing and like needing Mm -hmm. to look a certain way and being like, like very focused on the appearance. And I think that falls into that as well. Like just like every way (laughs) that we can please and that we can just kind of like show up and feel like we belong. Like, I think it's so wrapped up together. Yeah. Describe that so well.
1: Yeah. And I think too, right. Like as again for like people socialized as women we're often taught that like implicitly and a lot explicitly that our value is in our appearance right and like and that is how we gain power in our society right like if we look at celebrities if we look at you know the women like running companies right they tend to fit into this like quote-unquote like ideal body like you know traditionally beautiful i'm saying traditionally right like just our societal idea of what beautiful yeah. is um which is like a completely socially constructed thing um yeah. and so again i think it makes and this is why i never blame anyone for for dieting because it can be like a safety mechanism it can be a coping mechanism to deal with oppression and it makes so much sense why people um, you know, don't want to be like pushed down the hierarchy of body or, you know, bodies and humans that exist in our society. so that's like, you know, the more, um, access to power that these things give us, it makes sense that people, you know, want that. Um, and I'm saying power as it's defined in our society, which is very much like power over one another, um, which is very problematic, but, um, so yeah, I think it makes so much sense.
0: Yeah, man, it's hard because I feel like I'm like hearing you and I'm like picturing like the audience just listening to this f- space tube, and, and it can yeah. feel like if your body is not what society deems okay, presentable, whatever, like the norm, the standard w- that we should all like reach for, it's like we're stuck between a rock and a hard place because in one sense, like we may not want, we wa- may want to opt out of that, but then what does that mean in terms because our society is still that way? Whereas like choosing to diet kind of like leads us to this like never ending cycle that we fall into. So it can feel, I feel like really hard to hold all of these truth and kind of look at like, here's where we're at with all of these things that we have and kind of making this like, you know, as an individual, like, what do I want for me? But then also realizing like, it's a huge systemic issue, right? It's not Mm -hmm. all ownership on us to be like, I need to fit into this like broken system.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I think Yeah, it's definitely a both and, right? And I also think that this is why so many people end up getting involved in more of like the activism piece of things. Because yes, like there's only so much that we can change like on an individual level. And for, you know, someone like me who has a very privileged body, like my work in this area was very much was mostly just like my own internal work, right? Because I'm not treated differently by society because of how I look. But for folks who um, don't fit into that norm, right? They can do like all the internal work and feel like super um, you know, unapologetic about what they're eating or whatever. And then they can like, like I'm a client right now, can't get life insurance because of her BMI, right? Or like are paid less because of the size of their body or, right? So it's like, that's where we need to be tackling this, not just at an individual level, but like at the systemic level as well. Like, you know, ideally over time, like, Tearing down all these different systems of oppression so that people are treated the same. Yeah. Um, you know, no matter what their body, what they look like or what size their body is.
0: No, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. It makes me think of like, I, I feel like I say this quote every second episode, but the quote from like Naomi Wolf, I don't know if you know that one where like diets is like the most potent political sedation. I'm like, ah, like those <laughs> words are just like my job every time. Yeah. Yeah, it's so yep. true, right? When you just then hyper focus on this part, like, man, is it hard to live a full life when we're just hyper focusing on that piece? Yeah, exactly. exactly um, all exactly. right, I'd love for us to talk a little bit more about self compassion, unapologetic eating. So, your book is called Unapologetic Eating. Sorry, I'm having a hard time pronouncing that word. <laughs> That's okay. Before the podcast episode, I'm like unapologetic unapologetic okay I can say it I can say it um anyways back to the podcast um yeah can you before we get into like understanding that can you tell us like what do you mean by saying unapologetic eating like where does that come from like what is this concept that you teach
1: so I you know I define unapologetic eating as like eating what you want when you want how much you want without feeling guilty without feeling ashamed um a really like embodied experience where you're like in the moment with food like enjoying yourself like not worrying about what other people are thinking and like fully present and inhabiting your body while you're eating um and i think taking that deeper like to me unapologetic eating means like getting back to your roots and getting back to who you were before society told you who you should be so really like tearing back all of those layers Um, and so it ends up really being much bigger than unapologetic eating it really can bleed into like all these other aspects of your life as well
0: yeah i feel like the eating piece is like what you see of the iceberg of like once you get that but it's actually like so much into it i really really love that word because it feels like so like empowering of like like no like i will not apologize for choosing what i want for me because I get to make this decision. Like it feels very much like you're standing in your own power of like choosing, which yeah. I think like culture like takes that away from us oftentimes, tell us that, like, no, you can't trust yourself. Zero opportunity for that. Like you need to micromanage, you need to follow this plan, you need to restrict, you need to play small. And I feel like the unapologetic unapologetic, oh my God, part of things is going to be <laughs> it's going to be like the complete opposite, where we're really more like, No f that. Like I, I do get to trust myself and connect with myself, and I love how you said like embodying, like living in your body as you are eating and that whole experience. Like I think that that's so so cool, and I feel like it might be pretty obvious for the audience the difference between unapologetic eating and diet culture and dieting. But what for you is like those main differences that like you like to like bring to the surface to be like this is not a diet, this is not (laughs) the same.
1: Yeah. Well, I loved what you just said about how diet culture and dieting really like steals our power, right? Because it makes us cause us to distrust ourselves. That's like literally what dieting teaches us is like, Oh, you can't trust yourself. You have to follow this plan. Um, your body is like lying to you. Like your body is like not telling you the right thing. Like there's something wrong with you. Right. And so, um, unapologetic eating then is very much the opposite of that in the sense of like no like you your body has so much inherent wisdom and value and worth and you can trust it and you can get back in connection with it you know our culture in so many ways not just with food but in so many ways encourages disconnection there's a quote by i don't have it in front of me so i'm not going to quote her direct. like exactly, but Virgie Tovar says something to the effect of like being like connected and embodied in a society where there's like so much oppression is really uncomfortable and really hard. And so disconnection ends up being like a survival technique in so many ways. Um, and and it doesn't keep us in our power, right? If we're like disconnected from all that wisdom and we're spending, like you said, that Naomi Wolf quote, like we're spending so much time and like brain space and mental energy um, and like physical energy, like dieting and trying to control ourselves and control our bodies and like thinking about it all the time. What do we then not have time for? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, unapologetic eating, you know, really is about just getting back into your body and back in connection with your body. Um And yeah, so that you are able to like stand in your power and feel, feel really embodied um, and be able to like eat and move and make, make all your different life choices, like from that embodied place. Mm
0: -hmm. I love that so much. And just like hearing you speak, like I had a full like body chill of like thinking of like younger self, just being stuck in that and like where you are today, being able to like, wait, no, like I get to make those choices. And I think like, yes, for sure, there are layers of privileges, like, in terms of like, you know, not living in a fat body and all of that. But that piece of being like, I get to make those choices for my own body and like, leaning into that power and how like, different it is to live when you're not stuck in that. But then on the other piece of things, I'm also like, you know, when I was in that space, like if you and I would have that conversation 10 years ago, I would have been like, that's real cool for all them people. (laughs) I can't do this for me. Like, I think like that trust was so broken that it kind of felt impossible to even think about being able to trust myself. Like it, it didn't even make sense at that time. So I'd love to hear from you. Like, can everybody be in an unapologetic eater? Like, is that something that is accessible to everyone?
1: I would say yes. I mean, it's definitely not an easy process to get back mm-hmm. to that place, especially again, when you layer in the different um uh, systems of oppression and and so forth in our society, um, and you know the privilege that it does take to work with a dietitian or a therapist, right, and have access to that kind of care, and um, and I think like it's. It is within the reach of everybody um, because that's like how we're born. I always like, you know, looking, I don't have kids, but I have a niece and nephew. And like, I think about when they were babies and like starting to eat. Right. And there's just like food on their face and they're just like pure, like in there, like talk about being in your body and just like enjoying food. Right. Like, oh my God, I think about that all the time. And actually the conversation with someone a couple of years ago, I was at a dinner party and I cannot remember how this came up, but the man was like, yeah, like I've been trying to just like leave food on my face because why do we like have that? Like there's food on my face. I immediately have to wipe it off. And we were talking about like, oh yeah. Cause like, look at babies. They're just like enjoying it. And then like afterwards we clean up and, you know, I just think it's just, again, like just questioning all these different things. Like, yeah, do I care that I have food on my face or is it because I'm worried about like what others are thinking about me? Um, in wow, that like That thought
0: literally never crossed my mind, but I'm like digging it. Like, yeah. Why? Yeah. Like that pleasure with food.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I'm so glad it's coming because I haven't thought about it in a while either. But like I had experiences after that conversation with that person where I'm like literally, can because my partner took a photo of me because I'm like remembering it now. We were at um, this like really amazing like Spanish restaurant in New York City that had just opened. And I was eating like tacos and right. I had like chorizo juice, like all over my face and like salsa, but I was like still eating. So I was like, I don't want to put this down and like pick up a napkin. So I just like kept going. And yeah. I was thinking in the moment, I'm like, okay, if I put this down to like wipe my face, I would not be doing it because like I wanted to do that. I'd be doing it. Like I was just more aware, right. In the past I would have just like put it down, wipe my face off. But like, it brought my awareness around to like wait what do i really want to do right now no i want to keep eating this taco so like i'm going to sit with some food on my face for 5 minutes and like that's okay yeah um so yeah it's just like the power of kind of like questioning that um and i think that's something that is accessible to to everybody
0: yeah no and i love that i love that like you're right like we're all born with like like an intuitive eater we're all born being able to trust and rely and then we just learn that we can't so like going back to that is a process like i think like any relationship if we think of the relationship with food in our body like regaining that trust may take a while like i know definitely was for me and for a lot of my clients it's not a tomorrow i'm fully empowered in my power but it is doable and I, i really like the way that you you say that Hey, hey, I'm just stopping this podcast episode to tell you about the Food Freedom Club. All right, as we're like listening to this, we can really appreciate how many different layers there is to our relationship with food, right? Just knowing what to eat is not really enough to have a good relationship to food. And that is because we are all born and die culture and we all have different systems of beliefs, um, our emotional response, habits, to food that we need to work through in order to have true food freedom. But if you are ready to do this work, if you're like, man, I want that mental space. Like I wanna be able to really, you know, lean into my own power and feel empowered and just like allow food to just be food so I can like move on and do other things. The Food Freedom Club is the place for you. So this year membership is has all of the tools that you need to have true food freedom going through understanding diet culture, how it impacts us, becoming an intuitive eater, emotional eating, and finally being an empowered eater, plus a bonus module on health outside of diet culture. If you're someone who's like, I still want to learn how to nourish myself in a way that's health promoting, but I don't want to like be part of diet culture and all the restriction, this membership is really for you. You will have the support, the community, we're meeting every month. Like, oh, this is so good. And I'm so excited about about this club and inviting you to join us. So if you're interested, go check out the link and the show note to learn more about this membership and to see if this could be the community, the club for you so you can actually uh, do this work. So what's even more exciting is that right now you can join for $44 a month. Super, super cool cannot wait to see you in the club if you think this is a great space for you i just cannot wait to connect with you on that note let's get back to the podcast episode um and would you say like are there like key concepts in terms of like unapologetic eater like what what does that actually look like and is there a process that you may like walk someone through from like chronic dieter to fully being able to be like an unapologetic eater
1: Um, great question. I mean, question. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely have like a methodology that I use with folks. So it's not necessarily like, you know, step-by-step like this step, then this one, then this one, because it really depends on the person, but there are definitely like key concepts that everybody gets, like everyone who works with me in whatever fashion. Um, and so I would say, um, early on, right. Like the first thing generally is building awareness, um, And that's both awareness to like the external stuff, like the zooming out the big picture. I actually started my book. I wrote the first chapter of my book last (laughs) because I wasn't sure what to do with that chapter. So I was like, okay, let me move on to the other stuff and I'll come back to it. And in that process of like writing everything else, I was like, okay, I have to start out with the big picture, like zoom out, like the roots of anti-fat bias in our society, like where this all came from, because I think like like what you said before, um it can feel really inaccessible to people. It can be like, well, I just can't even imagine being able to like intuitively eat or listen to yeah. my body or trust my body. Right. Yeah. And it can really feel like an isolating experience too. I'm, I'm sure you hear this from your clients as well, but I have people who are like, I just thought this was like a problem with me. I didn't know that. So like, right? It's
0: yeah.
1: vast majority of people like have this yeah. um, problem because of our culture. So I think bringing awareness and like learning and unlearning the um, like roots of this sort of stuff and the like oppression and et cetera. And then also awareness on the, on the internal side. So an awareness on, okay, what thought am I having right now? Cause we tend to just like have thoughts and like, go through with them right so it's like okay this is where like mindfulness comes in of like okay i'm having the thought that xyz and then where did i learn that you know where how was i taught that like why do i think that um and really like bringing awareness and gaining more of an understanding of like what your thoughts are your beliefs how that then affects your like day-to-day behaviors um you know, awareness of all the ways in which like diet culture has been internalized in you, how anti-fat bias and belief has been internalized in you because all of us have that. Um, and yeah, really working on this mindfulness piece of like, because we can't, I think again, as, as humans, we're like, well, I just want to fix, like, here's the problem I just need to fix, right? I need to like change my behaviors, but if we change the behaviors without having a full understanding of what is impacting those behaviors, like you said, the iceberg before, right? Like people come in and they're like, okay, I'm having this problem with food or like my body image. And like, that's how the problem is presenting. But like, what is underneath that is this like massive iceberg. And so I tell my clients like, okay, I know you want to like change and fix these things because they're really uncomfortable and that makes sense. And before we we do that, like we really need to gain much more awareness about what is underneath that and what has impacted your Mm -hmm. food behaviors and impacted your relationship with food and impacted your relationship with your body. Um, so yeah, I would say that is always kind of like foundational stuff and, and that awareness and mindfulness is something right. That like carries through with so much more than just this work. Um, but it's always something, always a practice that, you know, needs to continue to be sort of brought to the forefront. Um, I'd also say like a lot of it is unpacking, um, you know, those different like cultural messages or familial messages or like things you've been told about your body, like, um, and like challenging and like bringing awareness and bringing that like shame to the surface, right? Like Brene Brown's work of, uh, if you like bring shame into the light, like it can't survive. So really like sharing it and talking about it with others. And just like this whole idea of like questioning, like questioning everything, like what we were just talking about with like food on the face, like, wait, why do I feel the need to put this taco down and wipe my face? Is it because I want to, or is it like, right? So just like really starting to question everything you've been taught. Um, And then as we do that, we start to realize that like so much of it is not necessarily coming from within us, but like without like outside of us. Um, And then I would say the other pieces are... um, Then like noticing like, okay, I'm having the urge to like, that I want to like fix this thing or, um, you know, change my behavior or restrict or whatever it is. And it's like, then it's like, okay, how can we take steps to like challenge those thoughts and start to like push back against some of these thoughts once we've raised awareness. Um, and then certainly like intuitive eating is part of this and, and really, you know, intuitive eating framework, depending on the person I'm working with, there can be pieces of that that can be really helpful with folks to help them like reconnect to their inner wisdom and like build back body trust. Um, And there's certainly like we do a lot of work around self-compassion and, you know, Coping tools and like dealing with the discomfort that comes up and the feelings that come up when we stop dieting. Cause often, right, like dieting for a lot of people is a coping tool.
0: Yeah. And when
1: you stop dieting and you don't have that in your arsenal anymore as like a coping tool, when your body is like feeling unsafe. Um, and I'm saying unsafe, right, from like a nervous system perspective, you might not, you might be like, well, I'm not unsafe, but like our nervous systems might feel like, oh, this is anxiety provoking. Yeah. I don't feel safe. Um, like let's say I guy had a client whose family member, like made a comment on her body size. I had another one who like went to the doctor and was like recommended weight loss. And like, you know, they tried to like scare her with all these health things. Right. And so her in the past, the coping tool would have been like, okay, how can I feel safe? How can I fix this? I need to diet. And now it's like, okay, I don't want to go back to that, but what do I do now with like this discomfort and these, these uncomfortable feelings? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it's really, again, like the eating piece, but also this bigger piece of like unlearning and questioning. And then you get to like explore and learn and define like new truths and thoughts and beliefs for yourself. Um, and so this is what, like, I just love so much about this work is that it's so much more than just food and it does like bleed into all these other areas. And so I love so much is when, you know, just like the self-exploration and self-discovery that comes along with this. And I'm thinking of a client of mine who just the other day, um, she had this realization that she has a hobby and, um, she loves it. But like, whenever someone asks her, Oh, what, what are your hobbies?" she's like i always have to like justify i always be like well it's really boring but i like this thing and she's like i she's like i just realized that i always do that she's like why am i doing that why do i feel like i have to like justify why i love this thing and so she's like it's these like little shifts right um or just like i had another client who um i mean this has happened with several people right when like when you stop dieting and like are doing this work eventually like so much more brain space opens up and people it's like they get to this point where it's like okay well I need to find a hobby now because like I have all of this time like what do I do with this time and it's just so cool to like see people like doing this like self-discovery work right like I have women in their 60s who are doing this and it's like so freaking cool to see after like decades of dieting then it's like okay what do I want to do with my time and like what do I want to do with my life
0: I love that so so much like I think that's like so powerful like the piece of like regaining time and experiences is like my juice I'm like I live off that like (laughs) so good um I love everything that you say I think a few things that came up for me when you talked about the awareness something that for me was like a difference is like being aware of diet culture and like the harm and like knowing that we're not alone but I think sometimes and you probably see this as well is like some of the stuff that is so normalized that they're like, oh wait, this is actually bad. And you're like, yeah, this is actually disordered. It's just that this has been normalized. So I think like a lot of that awareness too, like they they kind of know like the behaviors, but it's also like, well, everybody does this, so it's fine. Um, So I think like a lot of those things that, that adds like a level of challenge when a lot of these disordered behaviors are normalized by their culture. So we're like, yeah, I'm not alone doing this, but it's also normal. But sometimes it makes it harder to be like, well, no, actually it's not. Like we need to change this when the society still promotes that. I think it can be a challenge for sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah,
1: totally. And And that's
0: where I think like that like awareness, right? Because
1: mm -hmm. in there, you know, I think there's like, and this is like a line I'm always continually sort of like learning to navigate with folks because, you know, I think it's also as literally just having this conversation with um another dietitian yesterday around like diet culture pathologizes bodies, right. And pathologizes certain things, right. Like a signs disease or says there's something wrong with a certain size body or, or whatever. Um, and so I think there's also this line of like, you know, not wanting to pathologize someone's, you know, because we've been talking about how like dieting can be a coping tool and dieting can be like a feeling of safety for folks and like, et cetera. So I think there's also this line and this is where it has to come from within, right? Because I'm never going to tell someone like, no, you shouldn't do this because all of our behaviors, including our behaviors with food, right? Like came from a place of like survival, and came from a place of like our bodies trying to keep us safe and it generally starts in childhood or starts when there are times where we don't have agency over ourselves Mm -hmm. um but then it's like you know each person has to kind of like come to this own realization of like okay this isn't serving me anymore right and i think that's like a different place for everybody and yes it certainly makes that so much harder when So many people like this is just seen as like normal. So I think that's like really that raising that awareness of like, okay, this is normalized. So many people around me are doing this and turning back to yourself. Does this serve me right now?
0: Yeah. And I think that's like the biggest difference with diet culture is that it's not prescribed. Like it's not like you need to do this way and you need to eat this way and you need to like feel this way about all of this. But it's just like, how it's like it's questioning. It's like, how do you feel about it? Like here's the information. What does that feel like for you? Like, what is it for you? It's never like a, you should or should not do this, which is like, I know there's like so many posts on like Instagram. And I know I've been one of this posts, like we're not anti-dieters, we're anti-diet, like diet. Like, I mean, I think it's like this understanding of like, it makes so much sense that we diet. It makes so much sense that we we look at that. Um, A conversation I was having a, a few weeks back within the, my my group is this piece of like self-sabotage. And someone was talking about like, every time I try to diet, I would end up self-sabotaging or I know how to eat. I know how I should be doing, but I'm just like self-sabotaging. Then we start to question like, what if it was actually more like self-preservation? Like what if there was a reason why we were kind of relying on there and how is it actually helping you instead of like seeing it as like, you know, I'm not good. I stuck. I should blah, 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 blah. blah. And it's so interesting when we see food as like, we're not trying to harm ourselves with it, and it's not necessarily self sabotage, but it's understanding like the deeper, the deeper roots and like where it all comes from, and like how we're using food in that way. Because, man, a hundred percent, like from such a young age, there's so many of these beliefs that are so ingrained. Yeah. Oh, I love that the self preservation. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, it feels that way anyway. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, because our bodies are so freaking smart. And. Um, yeah yeah it's again everything every behavior develops for a reason and then yes we might get to a point where we're like okay this doesn't serve me anymore but like shaming yourself for it also doesn't help right because we know Mm -hmm. that like shame is not
0: a good motivator for change no and I feel like this leads in perfectly into our next question around self-compassion like how does self-compassion play a role within this journey and like just as we are progressing away from diets
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think certainly like starting with shame again, right? It's shame. (laughs) Let's return back to shame. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like fun thing to talk about. Um, But yeah, I mean, like that client you just mentioned, right? So many people have so much shame and there's like such a strong, like inner critic voice. Um, Uh And this can make it like real, like shame. And again, this is seen in research. And also if like folks just think about their own experience, like shame keeps us stuck right? Shame doesn't make it possible for us to like grow and evolve and change. Um, and while that like inner critic voice, similar to like our behaviors with food, um, developed probably at a time where it was like, you felt like it needed to protect you and keep you safe. So usually our inner critic starts like in childhood, um, chances are it's become like very unhelpful in other areas. Um, And the inner critic voice is like, what in the long run will breed shame too? So shame is that thing that like, something is wrong with me. What is the, what is my problem? Why am I doing this? Why am I self-sabotaging, right? Like you just said. Um, And so, uh, yeah, self-compassion is really like the antidote to shame. Um, Because if we're thinking about breeding like connection to our body and like, more awareness and more growth and more like happiness and fulfillment and like meaningfulness like that's kindness like we need to be kind to ourselves um and self compassion when we can be compassionate and be like what you just said of like this makes so much sense yeah this makes so much sense um that gives us space to like respond to ourselves rather than why am I doing this? Right. Like what is my problem? Spiraling down. Often that for people like can lead to um, you know, coping by being like, well, F it. I'm just gonna like do whatever I want and leading to like more disconnection with their body, um, whether through food or otherwise, and like numbing. Um, and so self-compassion is like the antidote to that. It really gives us space to be able to say like, okay, this is not my fault. Like Mm -hmm. these behaviors developed in response to experiences I had and to things that I have learned that was not my choice to learn. Like these were things that like our culture, like conditioned me to believe this was not my choice. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, okay, you know, where do I want to go from here? And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Dr. Kristen Neff is someone who's sort of like led the way with self-compassion research. And what her research has shown is that people with higher self-compassion skills have better coping skills. They're more resilient to stress. Um, they have more body appreciation. Like when we're looking at like body image, um, they're more apt to have like positive health behaviors to take care of themselves. Um, they're you know more resilient to like if they like make mistakes or like fail at something to like try again um there's less perfectionism there's less anxiety there's less self-criticism so really like self-compassion is like what can like developing those skills which is a practice like very similar to mindfulness um really does help us to grow
0: Yeah, it feels so good and warm (laughs) when you start being self-compassionate, but it can definitely feel foreign. And I think like from my experience anyways, that like everybody who will do this work will have to work on developing self-compassion. I think again, a lot of us like, like we are talking about shame is like, you know, that, that, that's how like self-compassion is the antidote to shame. But shame is also the, the huge driver for diet culture. Like you're not good enough. You'll never be lovable. You'll never be successful. Like you don't lose weight. So I think a lot of us have that like shame as a motivator already kind of built in. So I think for everyone who is wanting to do this work, like self-compassion will be a part of it. But it's also a skill that then you keep like forever and it's yes. so helpful in so many different ways. Um, so I'd love before we finish for us to tell for you to tell us about your book and how can people work with you like give us all of the deets
1: sure so yes so my book on apologetic eating I mean everything we've been talking about today is in there um but really you know it's a book that I wrote to encourage people to think outside the boxes that society has put us in and Um, really kind of using food as this like entry point into questioning all of these other societal like supposed to's and shoulds Um, and so the book really walks you through kind of both the food piece of things but also kind of like liberation as a whole and you know like okay the mindfulness, the self-compassion, the embodiment, the body respect, the like coping tools, like all of that is in there too. Um, and really it's, Um, I wrote this with the goal of having everybody be able to kind of feel embodied and liberate themselves from all these different like shoulds and supposed tos, whether it's like diet culture or like all of the other things that are put on us by society.
0: Yeah, I Um, love it. I got the pleasure to read it um, last year and it is so, so good. I think it's also like the the way that you wrote it is also like very easy to understand and like go through it, which I think is awesome, especially if you're just like starting with this journey, like it can be such a cool book to read and start gathering that like awareness, like that step one, like you were talking about and just kind of like understanding why all of this is what it is. I think it's just like, yeah, an awesome, awesome book.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. So yeah, the book is available basically wherever books are sold. Um, It's on Amazon. Um, It's on the book depository. If you're outside of the US or Canada, you can get it at the book depository. Um, It's also on like bookshop, IndieBound, all the places (laughs) all the places all the places yeah
0: yeah and how can people work with you
1: um, so you can go to my website, which is alyssarumsey.com and my team and I, we work with folks one-on-one. We also have some different online programs and we run a group coaching program like one to two times a year as well. Um, so yeah, all of that information is available on my website. Um, you can also check out my Instagram, which is at Alyssa I also share a lot of content and info over
0: there as well. So good. And all of this will be in show notes. So you guys can just like scroll down to the app, click, go check her out. Um, Thank you so much for being here with me today. I think this was a really cool conversation. Um, And before we go today, we'll finish off with our fun questions. The first one being, what is your favorite food?
1: I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is cheese. So I'm going to say cheese, yes. <laughs> any, any kind of cheese, any kind of cheese on anything with anything, yes, with anything <laughs> on anything, ideally with like crackers and like, a, well, now that it's like finally starting to get warmer, like a cold bottle of white wine.
0: <laughs> Ooh, yum. Loving it. Awesome. If you could have a superpower, what would it be?
1: I would say to fly mostly so I could like go visit all my favorite people much easier. <laughs> Or like teleportation, I guess, maybe even better. Like, just be like, I want to be in California now and like snap my fingers like, and like be with my niece and nephew. <laughs>
0: uh, that would be, I would love that too. Like you finish your day and you're like, let me go to Paris for a couple hours. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. have dinner, exactly. And then come yeah, home, right? yeah. I know, I know. I get like pissed off when I start to think about these like wishes because I'm like now I really want it and I'm like real sad that I can't actually teleport. Uh, right. Oh my gosh. Okay, what is your favorite way to self-care?
1: Um, my favorite way. So what I do is I found um, well, my partner a couple of years ago introduced me to a couple of different albums that I now know is called like ambient music. And it just usually has like lots of different layers and it's like mostly instrumental type stuff. And I go lie on my couch and I put, I have a blanket. It's not a weighted blanket, but it's like a little bit heavy. So it's like a little bit of like pressure on my body. And then I put one of those on and I just, at this point, like it's such a routine and there's three albums in particular, as soon as the music starts, I can feel my nervous system, like start to settle. Um, Yeah. And I call it music meditation because I'll like pick a sound in the song and just like follow that through and then like pick and so I'll be like okay the drum or like whatever like this random bell sound is and I'll just like listen for that like layer and yeah oh, it just wow. oh my gosh I'm like feeling more settled even just talking about it.
0: <laughs> I love that. Okay, that sounds really cool. I will have to try that. Um And then last question for you because this is the balanced Dietitian podcast. What does balance mean to you?
1: Uh, I would say it means living in alignment with my values and being clear on my values and just living in a way that that feels aligned. Um, I would also say, you know, talking about self-care, like balance to me means, oh my gosh, definitely like spending time calming my nervous system and like settling my nervous system and being aware of like, when I'm like getting out or feeling unsettled in my body, um, and yeah, community and connection and friends and nature, um, all of these things kind of really help me to feel balanced.
0: Oh, I love that so, so, so much. Well, thank you again so much for being on the podcast today. It was a real pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. I was so fun to chat with you. I appreciate you having me. great I feel like I say that every time after a podcast but like legit like this is so good this is where like the deep conversations happen and I'm so glad that you were a part of it I'm so glad that you were here with us today I hope that this episode inspired you to start your food healing journey or to continue wherever you are you deserve to have true food freedom you deserve to feel empowered and to let go of all of the shame that surrounds your relationship to food and to your body. And if you need support, if you think that I can help you through this, I would be so pumped to work with you. I will invite you to join our Food Freedom Club to start this work and leave diet culture behind for good. On that note, my friend, I will catch you in the next episode.